this morning, I, it was baby dedication Sunday. I, I got to dedicate our son Boston unto the Lord and our parenting unto the Lord. Yeah, so he, he, pastor didn't hold him so he didn't see him, but, but this is, <laughs> I'm just but, but this is, is him right here. And man, it has been such a privilege to be his dad. We've caught one of his uh, first smiles on camera. Just what a just sweet boy. I love being a father. And, and my number one role as a father is, is also to be a, a priest of our home, right? It's to uh, usher Boston into the presence of the Lord often, remind him of gospel principles and, and direct him towards Jesus, pray over him, advocate for him however I can. I will be a, a priest of our household. Uh, but, but there becomes a point right, in, in Boston's relationship with the Lord where, where his faith has to become his own, right? I, there becomes a point where, where I am just a man and I can't just uh, translate my salvation to him, but, but he will need to make a personal profession of Jesus as Lord. And, and our God in heaven is interested in a personal relationship with each of us, and so that's what will need to happen and this is kind of the direction that we're headed today. We're going to be talking about uh, believers' uh, relationship with God in the Old Covenant and the priests that helped mediate that and then how that even influences our relationship with Jesus here today. Um, but man, I, I hope that uh, Boston can make it through this message. I know that he has been uh, just waking up at all hours of the night crying, just excited for me to preach. It's not because he's five weeks old. It's because of sheer uh, excitement. And so I'm, I'm grateful to get into it with you guys. We're, we're going to be uh, in Hebrews 7. Uh, last week we did Hebrews 5. And, and Pastor Noe, the, the objective was to get through both 5 and 6. But being as thorough as he is with the scripture was only able to hit five. And so what I want to do is just give you some bullet points and some context. That way when you revisit Hebrews 6 in your quiet time, you feel informed coming into the word of God. But, but just a reminder, last week uh, we studied Hebrews 5. And if you didn't get the chance, listen to it. It was truly one of the most incredible messages that I've heard. And, and for Pastor Noe uh, to preach at that high of a level and be that intentional with scriptures and communicate so emphatically every single week, man, it is a blessing that we get to be a, a part of the church that he is leading. And so I, I'm grateful to be able to fill in his shoes this week. Um, but I, I'm going to go ahead and, and get us into some context on Hebrews 6. So, so Hebrews 6, the author here is putting some finishing touches on this conversation surrounding spiritual maturity. So something that Pastor Noe said last week is he said that uh, spiritual maturity is not spiritual knowledge, but it's spiritual practice. So, so it's, it's knowing in your head, but, but allowing that to influence how you live your life. You, you should be living a, a godly life. It shouldn't just exist as knowledge in your head. And so um, the, the author of salvation after, or I mean the author of Hebrews, excuse me, after uh, talking about spiritual maturity, uh, he goes on to explain that, that you can't be saved twice, right? So, so once somebody becomes a Christian, this salvation, it is guaranteed by Jesus. It is unchanging, immovable. And once you are saved, you are always saved. And I'll show you that here. It's in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And it says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted of the goodness of God and the powers of the age to come, 
and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their harm and holding him up to contempt. So, so they are unable to be brought back to repentance is what the scripture says. And there's uh, a, a, a word that's mentioned two times in these verses and it's this word taste. And what this word taste means, it means to experience or to, to have a, a brief encounter with, to experience the flavor. But, but it doesn't mean to be full and to be satisfied. And so what, what I want to let you know this morning is that, man, it's, if you've truly eaten of the bread of life, and, and, and if you've drank of living water, you are satisfied. You do not need to turn away and look elsewhere because Jesus is good enough to sustain you for the entirety of your life, right? But, but if, if you've just tasted, then, then there's a possibility you may turn away. And, and what I want to say this, this morning is that God's common grace, he, he's so good that, that even unbelievers can experience his goodness. So like if you're in here and you don't believe or profess Jesus as Lord, you can have a moment in worship where you realize that God is good. Or, or you can have uh, an experience with a friend where they tell you about what God is doing in their lives and you resonate with it and you're like, dang, may maybe God is good. But, but if, if you've just tasted and you've not professed Jesus as Lord and Savior and been satisfied by his blood and his body, then there is a chance that you fall away. There, there's a, a, a passage here in Luke 9 and it says this, it's those who put their hands to the plow and turn away are not fit for the kingdom of God. So, so what this is saying is that if you've began work for the kingdom and at, at any point if you've taken your hands off the plow and turned away and decided to stop working, you were actually never part of the kingdom of God to begin with because those who truly belong to Christ are sustained in Christ for all of eternity. So, so Jesus will not be crucified twice. And then, and then the author, he goes on and, and explains this in verse 13. And he says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he swore by no one greater, he swore by himself. This is an astonishing passage. So, so God is, uh, his, his word is so tied to his perfect and unchanging character that he can swear by himself. Th this, this passage, it, it makes me think of times when I like say that I'm going to do something but completely violate my word or, or I explain to people that I said something that I didn't actually mean but God doesn't have this problem because if, if God ever intends something, he just speaks it into existence and it is right? But, but with me, I, I'm, I'm a man, and so things can get in the way of obligations or commitments that I've made, right? I, I can maybe not have the resources to make something happen that I said I would. Maybe uh, something will pop up like a sickness or, or something else, or maybe my wife tells me that I can't, right? <laughs> Is anybody else there? So, so there's, there's things that, that contend with my commitments. So, so I can't be a perfect man of my word. However, God can be a perfect man of his word. And, and it reminds me of this, that there was a, uh, a time when uh, this year, we, my wife and I, we went and got a mortgage on a house. I don't know why we did it with these interest rates, but, but we did it. And so, so we went through this process with a lender, right? And this lender, what they had to do is they had to go through this uh, process and they had to prove whether or not we were people of our word. 
And, and so what they did is they, they had to go and check our bank statements for three months. They had to verify our income. They had to run our credit and they had to make sure that, that we were good on our payments uh, in past mortgages or rent or whatever the case. And, and then after that process, they determined if we were good on our word. But, but here's the deal is that God needs no credit check. God needs no verification of income. God simply speaks it into existence and it is because it's tied to his perfect character and there's nothing on earth that can thwart the plans of God. There's no power. There's nothing in contention. There's nothing that would require him to change in, in order to make something happen. Like nothing can contend with God and so his word always comes to fruition. Right? God doesn't have a wife, so he doesn't have to consider her. And so, I'm just kidding. So, I, lo I love you, Kaylee. Um, so, so, so anyways, uh, after this, we, we find that, uh, that we have assurance in our salvation, is what the scripture goes on to explain, that, that Christ is an anchor for our salvation. And in the same way that an anchor keeps a ship in place, Christ makes our salvation immovable and unchangeable and set for all of eternity, secure in his arms. That's where our salvation is. And this is good news for us because we have a God that doesn't change. And if we had a God that changed, this would be a, a bad deal because we, we wouldn't know who we were worshiping day to day, which God it may or may not be. And, and over the course of years and decades and centuries, uh, maybe the Bible could be proven to no longer be true because we have a different God than when the, the Bible was written, right? Or, or God, if he changed his mind, he could determine that he changed his mind on you. And, and he could decide, you know, I, I no longer love you. I'm no longer for you. I'm no longer for the church. My plans and purposes have changed. But God, for some reason, in his eternal wisdom and love, he has decided that he loves you. He's committed to you and he's unchanging. That is good news for us. Amen. Amen. And so after this, that's Hebrews 6. And after this, we find ourselves in Hebrews 7. So if you'll turn with me there, go ahead and go to Hebrews 7. And just a little bit of context here. Uh, Hebrews 7, I, I consider it the, the door hinge of the, the path of the book of Hebrews because it's, it's located right in the middle of the book. And here the author of Hebrews is closing one conversation surrounding spiritual maturity and personal salvation. And he's opening up a new conversation uh, in regards to Christ's priesthood. And this is actually going to influence the next several chapters of the book. So pay attention because it will inform the way that you read the rest of Hebrews. And here we, we are introduced to this character and his name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, he is a priest of the Old Covenant. And when I use this term Old Covenant, what I mean is this. It's a system in which sin was forgiven on the basis of sacrifices. It was instituted through Moses and carried out by priests. So it's a system in, in which your righteousness and your standing before God changed and, and it varied and, and sacrifices had to be made in order to maintain your standing before God. And so it was, it was a challenging system because we know as humans, we, our, our righteousness fails us, right? Our, our desire to be godly, we, we can't always uphold our word. And, and so this system was exhausting for us because we had to continue to sacrifice day after day. And priests had to sacrifice for us. And this was the system. But, but I think one thing that we, uh, we, we may get wrong occasionally is, is we look at this old covenant and we think that it's all bad. We're like, that just was an inefficient, horrible system. Thank goodness it's, it's dead and gone. But, but one thing I want us to consider is that for the ancient Jew, 
that, that received this covenant from God, they would have marveled at the fact that the Lord would have considered entering into a covenant with them. That they would have, they, they thought that they were hopeless with no relationship with God in heaven. However, God extended to them an offer. Even though it was hard and tedious and challenging, God extended an offer that they might have right standing before him. What, what a blessing this was for them. And, and now, a little bit later, we get to talk about the new covenant, which is even better than this. So, so Melchizedek, right, he was a priest of this old covenant. And, and when I say the word priest, I think the most helpful way to, to think about this word priest is to think about it as a bridge builder. So, so the, the Latin root word for priest is actually pontifex, which means uh, a person who builds a bridge, literally. So, so it's, a priest is this person who's maintaining the road to God, maintaining this bridge to God. So we'll pick up here in chapter 7, verse 1, talking about Melchizedek. It says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. So, so here we learn that uh, Melchizedek, he was both a priest and a king. Verse 2 says this, Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils, was the first of all by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So, so Melchizedek was considered to be the king of righteousness and the king of peace in his day. Like this dude had an incredible res resume. And his name alone is worth a message because his name is translated to king of righteousness and he ruled over the land of peace. So what that means for us is that we can never dwell in the land of peace without first uh, having a personal righteousness, right? We, we have to commit ourselves to righteousness if we want to experience peace, and that's what his name here means. Uh, but, but I have Melchizedek's resume actually here on a slide so we can look at it. So he was considered the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He had no genealogy. For, for a Jewish person uh, that, that saw that a priest had no genealogy, that would have been like shocking to them because every single priest uh, in, in all of time, with the exception of Melchizedek, had to have a lineage that tied them back to Aaron. So, so they had to have a, a direct line back to Aaron and they had to be of the tribe of Levi. However, Melchizedek was the only priest who was ever promoted to the priesthood just because his character was so good. Like he was just so incredible and, and loved righteousness and had a peaceful life and so he was promoted to the priesthood. And, and then we learn that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek and even uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So, so these are all things that for an ancient Jewish reader, they would have been like, holy cow, Abraham was like the pillar of our faith. Abraham was the founder of the faith. But, but still, uh, Melchizedek had something that Abraham didn't have. He had a blessing to offer, and he even had authority over Abraham because Abraham gave his resources and tithed to Melchizedek. So this, for a Jewish reader, for the, the author to be writing to his Hebrew audience, they would have been shocked at this Melchizedek character. And, and what the author is trying to do here with this reference is he's trying to explain that, that Jesus is so unlike any other priest that there ever was. Jesus has more authority. He's, he's, he's better. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's so unlike anybody after uh, the, the lineage of Aaron. 
The, the only other priest that might be comparable is this person named Melchizedek, but, but we learn that Jesus is even better than this exalted priest of the old covenant. And, and we learn this in verse 11, and it says this, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? So, so what we learn here is that, that the priesthood, the, the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood that's operated by man, it could never actually make things perfect, right? And, and so what ended up having to happen is, is there had to be another priest to come, one who would make things perfect, and he was going to be after the lineage of Melchizedek, or, or more like Melchizedek than like the priests after Aaron. And, and this is kind of what I was getting at earlier today, right, is that, that man, I, I am just a man. And so as I'm being a, a priest for my son and ushering him to Jesus, there, there comes a time when I'm only so effective, Right? There, there comes a time when, when I can't actually grant Boston salvation. I can't give him righteousness. I can assist him. I can help him on his way there. But there comes a time when, when somebody much greater than me has to grant him salvation because I, I don't have that type of access to God, right? And so that's where Melchizedek finds himself today is that he was the best at assisting people to God. He was, he was actually the, the Magic Johnson of the Old Covenant, if you will. So, so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. He was the Magic Johnson, old, old point guard for the Lakers, if you didn't know. But, but he was the Magic Johnson of the Old Covenant. He was always assisting people into the presence of God. And, and so now we jump back, and we'll be back in the scriptures here in verse 17. And we'll read 17 through 28. So put your heads in the book and buckle up. Here we go. So, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, so what this is saying is that Jesus is not after the line of Aaron, but he's after uh, the order of Melchizedek. And then it says, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law, it made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we now draw near to God. And it is not without oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this was one made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. He will not change his mind. That's good news. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to him or draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should be, or that he, he should be, uh, or, oh, excuse me, that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens." He has no need like those other priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So, so what this passage is telling us is it's telling us that, that this old covenant, it was a, a viable solution. Like this old covenant, it, it did do something for man and its relationship with God. 
But in comparison to this new covenant, this new way of relationship with God that Jesus is ushering in, this covenant is utterly useless. Like like what Jesus brings us is so much better. And he explains it in verse 19. He says, this new covenant, we, it's, it's actually making things perfect and we can actually draw near to God. Before the priesthood could grant you access or it could give you some type of right standing. But now, because Jesus is the Son of God and he's our high priest and representative, we also get to be called sons of God. So this is an altogether new relationship that we have with the Father in heaven. And we'll continue in verse 21. It says that Jesus is a priest forever. So, so his eternal life allows him to actually guarantee that this covenant's gonna be carried out for the end of time. What would happen before is that priests, they would live and they would hold office, but then they would die. And then, and then a new priest would have to come. So there's this constant changing of the priesthood. And when there was a changing of the priesthood, there was also a changing of your standing before God too, because that was your spiritual representative. So, so when the priesthood changed, your relationship with God was on unsteady ground. But because Jesus lives eternally, we now have an eternal high priest. And, and in order to have an eternal covenant, with God, we have to have an eternal mediator. And so I, I love this. We'll jump down to 26 and 27. And it says this, For it was indeed fitting that we would have such a high priest. He's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those other priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. So, so priests, they, they promoted uh, all these like godly things. They, they promoted righteousness. They promoted uh, like being exalted to the heavens, being separate from sin. And, and they would try to accomplish this and demand this in their people. H however, it, it was a ridiculous thing to, for them to suggest that because they themselves were sinners. So, so they were putting the, the demands of God on a sinful people as they themselves were sinful. So, so it was impossible that this covenant would actually ever be accomplished through a sinful human being because they, they themselves, the priests, had a, a changing relationship with God. They, they themselves couldn't uh, be this perfect bridge builder because they themselves had to sacrifice for their own sins and maintain their own righteousness. So, so the one thing that this old covenant that it didn't do very well is it didn't take into account our complete and utter inability to follow the demands of God, right? So even the priests, even the ones that were supposed to mediate and, and make sure that this covenant would uh, come to fruition, even they couldn't uphold these demands of God. And, and so the old covenant, it, it didn't take into account that we were just complete, utter sinners. And, and so we needed a covenant then that would even make sinners be considered righteous. We, we needed a covenant that would do something to where even sinners that continually sinned would, would be able to have access to God that was unchanging and perfect and existed forever. And, and so I, I'm, a, I'm pretty into fitness. This is a hard transition. It'll make sense. 
hold on. But, but I'm, I'm pretty into to fitness, and so one problem that I have noticed that I run into is that like I'll be training for a race or something, and I'm, I'm running miles, and, and uh, I'm noticing that what happens when I run a lot and, and certain clothes is that I will wear holes in them, or I'll have to wash them so much that they get discolored, and I'll have to replace them, or, or like they'll just get sun bleached or something. And so, so I had this problem where I was like always replacing my athletic wear. Like I was always replacing my clothes until I came across one brand that I think should sponsor me after this sermon. But, but I, I encountered Lululemon, right? And so, so when I encountered Lululemon, what I realized is, is I had this problem where I was changing my clothes and having to replace them all the time and buy new ones and the quality just didn't last and, and things just didn't last for a long time. They, they just changed. And so, so I, I needed a solution for this and my solution was Lululemon and I have this pair of Lululemon pants and shorts that I've, I've worn for a decade and they've been like the exact same every, every single time that I wear them. They're great quality and they always maintain the same. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because it is unchanging. But, but the, the issue with this, the Lululemon, is, is that it's a little bit more costly, right? It, it costs a little bit more in order to get this unchanging, really great quality. And, and there's uh, a, a similarity here with this new covenant, right? So the old covenant, it, it was always changing. Our standing before God was always changing. Priests had to be replaced, and, and there was always, you know, sacrifices that had to be made. But, but then there was a, a better solution. And this better solution was going to be more costly. In fact, it was going to cost a, a perfect son of God his life. But now this quality, it, is, it exists for eternity. Now we have perfect access and a relationship with God for all time. So, so this costly sacrifice of Jesus did something that 10,000 priests could never do. In the same way that one pair of Lululemon shorts did what 10,000 pairs of gym shorts couldn't, right? So, so now we know that, that what Jesus has done grants us this unchanging, perfect pair of Lululemon shorts. I mean salvation. So, so it grants us this perfect salvation for all of eternity. And, and now Jesus, he's, he's died and he's descended to the right hand of Father, uh, right hand of the Father. And now he operates as our high priest. And he has perfect access to God. And so what these priests could never grant us, which is perfect access to the Father in heaven, Jesus himself could because Jesus, in fact, was God. So, so righteousness and sinlessness and access to heaven and a relationship with the Father, all these things that priests couldn't perfectly figure out, we now have with Jesus operating as our high priest. And, and Jesus, he's the mediator of this covenant also. And when I say mediator, I just mean the person who's uh, carrying it out and making sure that it happens. And so when we have, when we accept his sacrifice, we don't just have access to God, but we have this unchanging covenantal relationship with Jesus that's guaranteed by his perfect and unchanging blood. This covenant is eternal, and it's even perfect. J just in case you missed this, I have a quote for us by, by Spurgeon, and it says this. We have considered him to be the mediator of a covenant. For we were certain that God could make no covenant with man unless there was a mediator who could stand between them both. So this was the job of priests. 
as they attempted to stand perfectly between God and man and satisfy the needs of man for a perfect and unchanging relationship with God and the needs of God the Father in heaven. He needed perfect righteousness and, and sinlessness from his followers in order for them to get into heaven, but no human priest could ever do this. And so we needed something different. And, and this is why Jesus came, is because we needed somebody who could sit in the middle of this covenant and satisfy God's perfect demands for righteousness and at the same time satisfy humans need for an unchanging relationship with our Father in heaven. So now this is the new covenant that we operate underneath. And the new covenant is just defined here. It's defined as this. Jesus is our eternal and perfect priest. His once and for all sacrifice brings us relationship with God. There's no need for more than one sacrifice. The sacrifice is sufficient. It is eternal, it is unchanging, and it is an anchor of our salvation. And so I'm coming to a close here, but I have just a couple of thoughts as we end. And, and, and one is this, it, it is a good thing that we simply exist. Like, like praise God that we exist because we, that there's no reason. God was perfectly satisfied and joyful and happy and full of love in himself, in the Trinity before time even began. Like God doesn't need us, but we exist. That's a good thing. A, a better thing is that God gave us this old covenant. He gave us a covenant where, where we could make sacrifices and, and try to maintain our relationship and our standing before him. Like that, that's a viable solution. That's a better thing than just existing. We get to understand the character and the demands of God and, and we get to attempt to have relationship with him in that way. But what is perfect? What is perfect is Jesus operating as our high priest and our mediator, applying his blood to all of those who would believe in him, granting us a perfect righteousness for all of eternity and a perfect relationship and access to our Father in heaven. This is perfect. God didn't just settle for good or better, but he wanted perfection and he got it in his son Jesus and in this new covenant. Praise God. Only Jesus was able to satisfy both the perfect demands of righteousness by God and our need for a Savior and a relationship with God the Father in heaven forever. Amen. Praise God. That's so good. All right, church. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray us out, and then you guys are dismissed. Dear Jesus, thank you for this covenant that you've granted us that we could even draw near to you. What a blessing this is. What a hope this is. Lord, I pray that this influenced the way that we worship. I pray that it changed the way that we think of you and love you, that it changed the way that we read our Bibles, knowing that there was a process that, that ultimately peaked in the person and love of Jesus Christ. God, we just praise him this morning. He's our high priest. He's an anchor for our salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. All right, church, you guys have a great afternoon. Thank you. God bless. <laughs>